0: I have never heard someone say so many wrong things one after the other consecutively in a row.
1: TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. TGIF. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be working once again with bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. It's a Friday. That means it's Benny Day. How are you, Benny?
0: Oh, my God. Ew, David.
2: Ew. 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 <laughs> my favorite you character. And- my favorite still still. <laughs> a, I, my
1: favorite is Stevie because I see oh. myself as the male Stevie, actually there. But and that's one of those things. You remember how they used to say, "Which one of the Beatles? They're not that your favorite, but which one do you relate to? Which one represents you?" And people do that now with the Shits Creek characters.
0: I would totally give you the ding for that. That's absolutely correct. You just need to wear more plaid.
1: Yes. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> when, when they gave away the goodies, after they uh, broke down the set, people could make off with wardrobe Their Emily Hampshire who played Stevie bud said, I didn't want any of the clothes they were going to offer me. I didn't need to have any of those. So she decided to take the big painting of the elk in the office of the motel that she owned there. So that was her gift to be able to take with her. Isn't that nice?
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's a fantastic snag.
1: So, yes, and Moira had her choice from that wardrobe. She probably took all of it.
0: You know, real fast, can we just, like, what? Yes. I never got, I mean, I think I get the wardrobe choices for her throughout the whole series, but it was very Tim Burton-ish, you know, from, you know, her days. <laughs> yes. I mean, almost like her when she was on Beetlejuice. Like, that's all I remember. Every time she would show up and something, I'm like, that's just her. There's, you know, Ms. Ms. O'Hara. Yes. The
1: stamp of her personality. Right. Definitely on right? that show. Well, yeah.
2: she and David were all in black and white, almost exclusively. Right. I guess they were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I like his fashion. So, that so that's too. their thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right.
1: Okay. <laughs> So that's your, that's your gonna, update <laughs> on the show that, that is no longer in production. Show's over, everybody. Up.
0: See you guys later. We'll see you next week. Yeah. All right. Still wildly popular.
1: Absolutely. I'll tell you who else is wildly popular. That would be our friend, Tory Ryder, a long-established and against great odds on the basis of gender. There may have been other factors. I don't know. but. She broke through in a big way in the world of radio, and for a woman, that's tough to do. We'll get into that and many other subjects during the balance of this hour. I believe there are some mad props for our friend, Tori, that you would like to read, Suzanne.
2: I'm going to read right from her book about the author. Her book is She Said What? Turi Ryder is a music and talk radio show host whose voice is known to listeners in Chicago, San Francisco, Seattle, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, and Portland, Oregon. Her not-quite-empty-nest features a broadcasting studio and variously one spouse, two children, a rescued German shepherd, and numerous marauding chickens. I <laughs> <We'll> have to <laughs> ask her about the chickens. And this is her eighth visit to Manson Mitchell. We are thrilled to have her back to just chat with us for the next hour. Welcome, Turi Ryder. Thank you. I didn't realize it was my eighth visit.
3: I'm so proud. Oh, we keep track of this stuff. Well, you're very good at keeping (laughs) track of all kinds of things. I'm hopeless. So I'll just leave it to you and say thank you.
2: You're quite welcome. Gary was alluding to your being a woman in radio, and that is one of the things that I wanted to talk about today. Your book is now, it came out in June 2019, so it is now three years old. Oh, don't say
3: that. Then there was COVID. I I still have (laughs) events that are
2: to be rescheduled. Wow. Um, Yeah. um, That was one of the things I wanted to ask you about, what's going on with your events, your scheduling, and are you doing both talk and music right now as far as your radio gigs? Uh, what's happening now? I have a podcast, which is oh. called,
3: not surprisingly, "Tory Writers, She Said What podcast. Uh, there's somebody else who has a She Said What podcast, and I think it has relationship advice. And you don't want my relationship advice. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, you don't want that relationship advice. So... Uh, you would want to stick my name on there if you're looking for the podcast, and I do that with Marcy Persky. And Marcy, um, you would really, really dig her. She she spent years as a UPI editor and a newspaper reporter and a talk show host and a concert reviewer, and then she kind of chucked it all and went to live way up high in the mountains near the Grand Canyon. So she's like the country mouse. And I'm the city mouse, if you remember that story from childhood. Sure. Yeah. She sure. has goats that invade her that figure out how to use the dog door and end up in her kitchen. And oh. yeah. It's yeah, it's a different life. I have no use for goats, really. No, you have chickens. <laughs> I have that too. One <laughs> of our chickens. You know, it's really terrible the things that can go wrong when you have pets. I mean, there's all the stuff that you expect. Do you guys do you guys have pets? Do you have pets? Not currently. We do not. Are you cat cat people, fish people? Here's
2: a cat person. I'm a dog person. person. I've had German shepherds, Yorkies, and cats that he still dreams about. But at one
1: time, I had two Yorkies, one calico cat that adopted us. Uh And in addition to that, because we didn't want them to wind up in the belly of a snake, we had up to eight lab rats that we adopted because we thought they should live out their natural lifespan instead of being treated as food. So they were rescues of a kind, and even a couple of guinea pigs. At one time, I had a menagerie in my life. Does sound that way. Yeah, but not now. It's been a very long time, and yet I think of those those fur babies, my beloved pets, of 30 years ago,
3: and they still feel close to me, you know? Yes, well, they make a space in your heart. So- You know, since you have had pets, that there are all kinds of things that you expect can go wrong and you plan. It's like, it's like having kids. You think, well, this could happen. That could happen. You don't let them run into the street, make sure they wear their bike helmet. You do what you can. And then there's the thing that you just, you, you, with pets, you can't possibly imagine. So I say this because we have a chicken who literally hung herself. Oh no. Uh... Oh yes. Last week. She, like, uh, we have this lovely, we have this lovely, like, lilac bushes and a run and dirt. And we're like, this is a perfect paradise for chickens. Like, who would have figured this out that you could get stuck in some branches? So it's kind of grisly, but it just goes to show that you can think you have covered every base and every eventuality and protected from every possible foreseeable predator. And still, anything you love and care about can find a way to do itself in whether you're trying to protect them or not. Yes. So yeah, yeah. I learned that's another true. Less, lesson that's last
2: week, true. another
3: yeah. harsh lesson.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, you feel like you want those lessons to be over with at some point, but no, they just go on and on and on for the whole rest of your life. Well, and the world, of course, is
3: teaching us much more horrible lessons of the same ilk. So it was like, yeah, as in nature, so in humankind. It was really something to this this past week, as we all know, has been a lesson in horrible things that can go wrong when you are not expecting it. Okay, so we're going to merge
1: into that lane even sooner than I expected, though I knew it was inevitable when we bring someone with a window on the world such as Tory Ryder has. So let's go ahead and go there. I'm old enough to remember, Tory when President Johnson, LBJ, described America in, I think it was 1968, as a sick society. And that became a catchphrase. Those were buzzwords. Sick society. If I could go back in time, I would say to LBJ, you ain't seen nothing yet. And yet here we are coping and trying to cope even better, trying to arrive at solutions where both sides look at each other across a great divide and offer great verbal and legislative resistance to what are called common sense solutions to the problem of gun violence. I don't see that we've made any progress, but I might
3: be wrong. How does it look to you, Tori? Well, as we speak today, there are murmurs that there may be some progress on the, the very most, I, don't, I have to choose my metaphors carefully, um, <clears throat> on, on the very most I would normally say bleeding edge, but I'm not going to say that. I don't know what to say instead, but on the very, very fringe of what is doable, there may be some motion, but I, you know, it's hard because there is this desire to paint people who want to do anything as wanting to do everything. And I I think we, as, as a society, sick or otherwise, we've come to a place where, It's very difficult to say, well, I want to do some of that and not have people point a finger at you and say, you want to you want to take everything you want to do everything you want to pay for everything, whatever it is you want. And it's it's interesting because in our lives with people, uh, we're not like that in, in general. And I'm thinking of a friend of mine whom I really care about. I've known him for 40 years and. He, he said to me the other day, why, why are we fighting now we never fought before? He said, it's because we, we used to agree before. He's taken a completely different political tack than I did. And he was talking about his neighbors and how they mock him for his beliefs and how he is angry. He's very, very angry. And I said, I think, you know, if something happened in your neighborhood, your neighbors would still come out and help you just the same way that a kid fell off a bicycle in front of your house you went looking for the mother you didn't care what her politics were you just went to help and the saddest thing he looked at me and he said i'm not sure my neighbor would and that scares me more than anything that really scares me i'm not sure my neighbor would and and i i can't i can't make myself believe that that's true at that point i might as well just try and get citizenship in canada i just can't believe that all these people saying, you know, we want to make some progress here. They're not so, everybody's somebody's neighbor. Why can't we look at these people who have different uses for weapons and say, OK, I respect that you need to do this, that and the other thing with your weapon. I don't want any, but I respect your right to, to do this. Let's find something where we can agree and and not have people say, no, no. if we do anything, you want to take everything that scares me.
2: You know, I think that's a, a pretty common fear because it's, it's actually like a, a good negotiating tactic. It's a good strategy for living to realize when you can't get absolutely everything that you want, that maybe you could get just a little bit. And then after you get that little bit, you want a little bit more. And then after you get that little bit more, then you want a little bit more, and so I I don't think that when people get some of what they want but not all of what they want, that they say, "Okay, I'm good with that. I got a little of what I wanted." I I don't think it it works like that, Tori. I'm concerned that that um you know that they're right when they say, if you if we give a little you're going to want more. You're going to want, we'll give an inch and you'll take a mile. Uh, I don't think it's possible to, to be that dramatic about it, but I, I can see where that would be a fear. And, and I'll tell you how, I'll tell you an example of where that happened. Look how fast, how really at (coughs) at lightning speed we got, um, uh, uh, marriage equality with, uh, with homosexuals and lesbians, the LGBTQ community, that ha- happened almost overnight. And this was resist, 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 and then all of a sudden, boom, it's done. And so I, I kind of get the idea that, well, we can't give you a little bit, or you'll get the whole thing. And, and I, I understand that. And I I don't even agree with it. I understand it without agreeing with it. I think there is a little bit that can be gotten. I think there's some kind of middle ground, some kind of something in the middle with regard to guns where people would be okay with it. But then there's always this, this fear of, well, if I, if I give you a little bit, I'm going to lose all my rights, all my
3: rights. That's so interesting to hear, to hear, and I have, I mean, that is exactly the view of many people. If we give an inch, there will be a mile, but is there no place for, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, before we get to the mile, we'll do the inch now, and then we'll discuss. I mean, practically, um, I, I would say your analogy is a little bit different in that what happens between two people is just between the two people. So I, I never really understood how someone else's marriage affected right. uh, other people's marriages. Right. But people's uh, people's right to have an 18-year-old go out and, and buy a gun, that's not just the 18-year-old that's affected and not just, you know, that that's potentially oh, 19 yeah. people. So oh, I, absolutely. I, I understand that. Pe- I, so I think that the only, and I'm not sure the analogy holds up, but it does, you're right, it does demonstrate that, um, wanting to have domestic partnership evolves into, but I think everyone was pretty clear about the goal. I'm I'm not sure. I guess where I would come back to is I'm not sure that people who want to control who gets high powered long guns. Um, I'm not sure those are the same people who want to take every gun. I mean, I know from, for myself, I've got no problem with most weapons that people keep responsibly. I, I don't, you know, I don't want to take away everybody's guns. And I know a lot of other people who, you know, who hunt and shoot for practice and have one in their home for defense. So I'm not, I'm not sure that there are all that many people who, who want it all. Who want like nobody to have any guns at all. Um, it'd be interesting to know. I mean, it would be interesting data. I think one of the things yeah. that's going to come out of this is. We're going to start getting data about um, what people really want. So far, what people really want, for the most part, for the most people, is at neither extreme. And, and I think that's hopeful. So, to answer your question, yeah, I think right. it's hopeful. I, I hope it's hopeful. Does that, that's a lot of hope there. <laughs> long, long tunnel of hope there.
1: I so. heard Michael Moore on MSNBC the other night. He made the comparison by way of exhorting us to take the long view of this gun violence issue. The comparison he drew, Tory, was between what we're faced with now, which seems to face long, almost impossible odds in terms of any common sense legislation on which Democrats and Republicans in Congress can agree, and the kind of social movement, the persuasion of The vast majority of the American public to over a period of time, and we could be talking about 40 to 50 years now, and it doesn't seem like we have that kind of time to solve this issue. But nevertheless, the comparison that Michael Moore drew was to smoking. There was a time when you had, I don't know if a majority of American adults smoked, and a lot of teenagers start smoking. We know this there, but over a period of decades, smoking became unpopular. It became regulated. You've been to a restaurant where you see a cluster of people about 30 or so feet away from the entrance there, and they're smoking because they have their little place that's reserved for that, maybe in the parking lot. And yet a majority, the vast majority of Americans do not smoke tobacco. So he thought if we can do that, and it took quite a long time through legislation, through the work of the Surgeon General and getting the word out, there was a governmental bias against smoking that became borne out in the daily reality of Americans. But it took a long time. He feels that we can do this. We just can't do it overnight as regards gun violence.
3: I, I like part of his analogy. I'm having an analogy problem today. I don't know what. That, I don't know why I'm. I'm struggling with the analogies. I, I think that yes, you can get social change over a long period of time. But back to Suzanne's point, what's underlying a lot of this is fear. I don't think there was anybody who felt like if if they gave up their cigarettes, someone could come in and hold them up and kill their family and take all their stuff. And I think that that there are a lot of people who believe that, um, they need these things for their safety. And I'm not sure anybody believed that you needed cigarettes for your safety. I think people needed them for your pleasure and your fun and your social.
2: It's a right. I can do whatever I want and I can smoke wherever I want. It's my right. No. Um,
3: I don't remember, I don't remember anybody saying that. Do you really? It's I mean, did right anybody say smoke? I sure. have a right to smoke in a restaurant where nobody wants me? I mm. yes,
2: oh yes, oh huh. yes. I don't remember. I remember it, people I saying smokers were very militant during the transition between smoking and non-smoking. Hmm. I'm thinking about it. It I took do,
1: legislation I, to remove cigarette ads from television.
3: Well, again, that's a social. That's a social good, but I don't think it was as as underpinned by fear that something terrible could happen that you could prevent by smoking i I, that's where i think it breaks down i think people believe and and it's funny because when i when i host talk radio shows there are three subjects i almost never talk about and one of them is gun control because my my joke at the time was until you're shot or pregnant those two issues don't change in your head because your experience remains constant Um, but i wonder uh, I wonder if now a thoughtful conversation is actually useful. And, and I would say that yeah. people who want what what you just described as common sense regulation, maybe our job is to convince people who want even less regulation that we come literally and figuratively in peace. You know, we don't we don't want to take everything away. I, I think I, I think oh. that maybe the task of yeah. the people who wish common sense is to make it very clear that. No, nobody wants to take your hunting rifle and nobody wants to. I do think what's really important is um, that we hold parents responsible for, for securing their weapon from children. That, that's a did you have you I, I remember that um, when my littlest was in preschool, <clears throat> we had a carpool and there was a woman in the carpool whose partner we found out was a drinker with an unsecured weapon in the home. And that was the end of those playdates. But I mean, can you imagine allowing a partner who drinks to have an unsecured handgun around your preschool child and just have it out?
2: Well, you know, at this point, anything goes. Anything goes. You you know, I'm going to give you another analogy problem since we've already given you two analogy problems. None of which I'm swallowing whole. What's wrong with me today? we were talking about giving an inch and taking a mile. Mm -hmm. Okay. How about um, the Supreme Court justices? There, There was Merrick Garland and the Republicans said, oh, but the election is only nine months away. So we can't really confirm him. There's a big election coming up. And then boom, 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 three Supreme Court justices that was taking a mile. I think what's really
3: hard for people is to have a sense that the I, I'm I'm seeing amongst people who were fine with that, there's a lot of there are a lot of people who feel aggrieved and that they're just evening up the score. Um
2: wait, wait, wait. Aggrieved that we didn't have enough conservative people yes, on the support. That the, Court? the
3: whole country had had gotten away from them. And oh, wow. they're and, and that they I'm not saying they're right. I just think. That when you're on the side that's winning, it's easy to believe you're entitled to be winning. And it's very, very, you have to be a pretty evolved human being to say, even though I'm losing, it's right that I'm losing. Um, I remember distinctly how hard it was for me to support the ACLU when they were supporting organizations that I thought were horrible, to step back and say, these are horrible organizations, but the principle. I have to support the principle that it is their right to congregate march do what they wish because that that is the greater principle it is very hard to transcend your day-to-day life and and look at the principle and most people are simply scrambling to have their day-to-day life and so for them um the the appointment of these justices um was about what they needed the society to look like in their life. It's it's a privilege to have a, a bigger perspective, and I don't think a lot of people have the time or the energy or the education to really like take a take a forty thousand feet view.
2: Well, and that's really just it. There are several times where I have attempted to do that myself where I've take, tried to take the 40,000 foot view and say, there is a pendulum and the pendulum goes one way and then the pendulum goes the other way. And, 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 you know, first we have some progress and then we go backwards and then we have more progress and then we go backwards. So, you know, I do attempt to do that once in a while. And at the same time, um, I guess I really just don't like going backwards. You know, oh, I don't, I I don't want women to be, you know, barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen and, you know, not in the workforce and all that, which, you know, looks like where some people would like to take us. So, I agree with you. It's very,
3: very hard. I don't like it. I'm I'm really I mean, you and I and Gary probably are spending a lot of time with stomach ache, thinking this is just unlivable. This is intolerable. How can we see these kinds of things happening in what we consider to be a free country? And I again, you know, until it happens to them, it's not going to change. But I think what's going to be interesting now um, is to see how how far back women are willing to be pushed, I, I think. Like a a group of my friends have gotten together and said, "Okay, there are organizations where we can actually risk jail, but be useful. And three of my friends are like, "Okay, we're going to do what we need to do. And if we go to jail, we're going to go to jail. That's what we're going to do, because we have, you know, if, if it's because these are our principles. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I think that there was a lot of putting the fingers in the ears and going, la, 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 this isn't going to happen, la, 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 this isn't going to happen. But when it's right in front of you, uh, with any of these hot button issues, when, it, when it's happening in your neighborhood, in your community, in your household, it's very difficult. And I will tell you how, I'll tell you how this came home to me. I will admit something ugly about myself. Um, the whole drug and fentanyl and overdose thing and I'd been I'd been uh, carrying on as though, well, you know these people do this to themselves and they should know better and um, you know if you're living under a viaduct, you basically chose to be there and not to get help. And I had a very superior attitude. And then it happened that someone close to me started wrestling with thank goodness not an opioid addiction because that's a really tough one, but a, a different form of, of substance abuse. And now every time I hear a story, I think that could be the person I love. That could easily be the person I love. And when you have that tiny little wormhole of empathy, as you pointed out, it's the inch. And pretty soon you have a mile of empathy. Pretty soon you have a big bucket of empathy. And it's very hard to be judgmental and doctrinaire when the issue touches you personally
1: especially in those places where you didn't in a million thoughts that run through your head, ever think it could happen here. Right. Right. In Uvalde, it's, Texas, they are saying that
3: now. It, it, it really is remarkable that, that there are still people who believe that it can't happen where they are. I mean, that to me is the big puzzle. How is there anybody, who feels that their community is completely immune to this kind of violence or this kind of restriction of human rights or whatever the issue is, who really, I mean, I guess there are people living in bunkers in rural Idaho who feel like it can't happen to them, but we'll we'll see about that, won't we?
1: (laughs) We will, one way or the other. In the meantime... We've reached the bottom of the hour. Time for a break, a short one. And when we come back, we will continue our discussion with Tory Rider. This is the world according to Tory Rider and Mance and Mitchell at your service right here at Seattle's Home of Alternative Talk, AM eleven fifty. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures, detailed in each magazine. With all your itinerary, we could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own
0: adventure.
2: Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy.
0: Just go to mansonmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Manson and Mitchell
1: show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter,
0: share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal.
1: Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's
0: a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame. most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-team
1: of Alternative Talk is mansonmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk
0: 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com.
1: On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Tory Ryder, whose decades of work in radio have given her a unique window on the world. It's the world according to Tory and Manson
2: Mitchell. On Saturday, Jeffrey Marks talks about the influences on his thinking over recent years and the continued development of his extraordinary mediumship.
1: Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007.
2: We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10, right here on Alternative Talk, AM 1150.
1: Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150 KKNW.
2: Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Turi Ryder. Turi is T-U-R-I and Ryder is R-Y-D-E-R. Turi, we're so happy to have you here today. We've got your book. Um, You've got a podcast. This is a time to tell our listeners how it is they can connect with you by listening to your podcast, going to your website or anything else that you would like to share. Well, it's, I would love it if they would try the podcast. They're 15 minutes,
3: they're bite-sized. They were originally meant to be for your commute before nobody commuted. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They were meant to be, you know, you could stack them together or if you had a 15 minute commute, you could have a podcast just on your commute. So um, that, that if you just put in my name, which you've just spelled to rewriter and podcast, it'll come right up. Or if you just Google my name, there are 65,000 ways that you can, Find me, but if you specifically want the podcast, you can do that. And the book you can get at your neighborhood bookstore, or the you know who gargantuan, world's most well-to-do owner until he got divorced, company. Um, you know who he is. Yeah, we always
2: yeah, we always like to give him his props too. (laughs) Well, he built that company with his wife, yes. (laughs) She's busy giving it all away, the ex-wife.
3: Yeah, Yeah, I know. Kind of fun to watch. it is kind of fun to watch. I'm like, it's true. Like how many billions can you eat after a while? It's just, she's giving money. We're we're talking about the former Mrs. Bezos. Um, in case you're wondering, she's just been supporting all kinds of great charities. It's been kind of nice to see anyway. Um, so yeah, I'm easy to find and you can find me and I love to be found. So that's good. Excellent. And you've got social media and all that good stuff. I do. You can be my Facebook friend. I don't think I'm quite at the limit yet. And you can find me on Twitter and uh, can find me. There's an Instagram feed for the podcast, which we're just learning. Isn't it interesting? All these new social media tools, you get to learn how to use them.
2: Yes, but yes. And, and yet, I'm, I'm old we, and We slow. are on the radio. We are yes. on the radio. You are <laughs> one, one of the premier early radio people. Gary wanted to ask you about that. During oh, your I'm,
1: early radio days, Tori, you told me this one time. I want to make sure I've got the story straight. Elaborate as you wish. I understand that one of your jobs early on was to be the legendary Larry Lujak of Chicago radio
3: fame for you to be his wake up call. Is that true? That is absolutely well, because I did the all nights. So bless his heart. You know, he got up for a five o'clock air shift or five 30 AM air shift every day for decades and decades. And it's hard to get up at that hour. I've done morning drive. You guys, have you done morning drive? Briefly
2: yes. for a month or two. And right that's <laughs> when we knew we didn't want to do that. That's a, Yeah. I, that's I why did my best. People...
0: I did my best with him on that one. You know, just, <laughs> I'm still working at it. <laughs>
3: When I did morning drive in Portland, I, it took three alarm clocks and an automatic coffee thing to get me out the door. And I would set each alarm clock like 10 feet further from the bed. So I would call Larry in the morning and he'd go, yeah. And I, and until he said, I'm up, I I had to call him every 10 minutes, every 10 minutes. Yeah. It took a while sometimes.
1: So let me segue into this. Do you find it much more to your liking at this point in your career? And of course, yeah, you are a woman with options and you have all the experience as well. But there is this social phenomenon now of working from home. I didn't think it was extremely controversial, but there is at least a note of controversy now that Elon Musk has told his Tesla people to start showing up for work. They can't pretend to
3: work from home anymore. You know, it boggles the mind that Elon Musk, who's so great at solving engineering problems and building companies that he can't figure out some way to figure out if people are doing the work he needs them to do without counting their noses over their desks and clocking how much time they are spending in their cubicles or on the factory floor. Really? That's just a, in my opinion, that's just a raw power play. And, and there are labor laws in this country. So I'm pretty sure that since they've grown their company by 40%. 40%. Their workforce by 40%. I'm pretty sure that some of those people they recruited have contracts that say they can work from Zanzibar if they can get the work done from there. So as as they used to say in the cartoons, we'll just see about that.
0: <laughs>
1: Andy just does see voices.
3: <laughs> about that. We'll just see about that. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, he can say whatever he wants, but that that is why we have laws, labor laws in this country. If if it's unsafe for you to go back to work, um, or you negotiated a deal that says you can work from Zanzibar, then nice try, Elon Musk. We'll just see about that. So I don't know. I don't know. I think a lot of people, you guys, you were early home studio people. I was an early home studio person. Um, yes. it was. Wasn't it interesting to watch people figuring out how to work from home?
1: And we did it somehow. Yes, and it does work, I believe, rather effectively. You know, Turi, there is a man on the conservative side of AM talk radio, which sometimes you can just refer to as AM talk radio there, but this particular gentleman was in the (laughs) Bay Area. He was there when you probably lived not so far away. And I was told by an insider that this particular broadcaster was allowed to build a home studio. For all I know, they built it for him because they thought it was such a great idea for him to broadcast remotely from home instead of showing up at the radio station on a five-day-a-week basis. Yes. And at that point, it worked well for everyone.
3: Yes. Well, there. I know. I can think of two people. There was one guy they allowed to broadcast from home because by the end of his shift he was always loaded and then <laughs> there was another guy who was just so awful in the hallways and so dreadful to people uh that they said you know what build him a home studio keep him the heck out of here he's demoralizing the whole station ding 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 <laughs>
1: You are our grand prize winner today, to our- You
3: get a home studio and a <laughs> pair of pantyhose for your mom. Um yeah, that that was uh lucky. <laughs> yeah. We all felt so much better after that guy was was uh I, I wouldn't say excommunicated, was gently placed where he could in, in a little padded studio where he couldn't harm anyone but himself. It's we were glad. I like oh. that. I, I
1: refer to that as being strategically sequestered.
3: There you go. That's exactly what that was. Hey, yes. I d-
0: I did show Turi the studio this morning. So, I hope she's not thinking of me cuz our, you know, no. we got padded studio in here <laughs> no. too. No. Okay. No. <laughs> All right. But the
3: studio, the studio from home what's really interesting is um, everybody has figured out different ways to work. It, unless obviously there are jobs that you can't be, you know, you can't be a hotel cleaning person and do that from home or wait somebody's table, etc. But if you have a job where you can do it from home, the 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 pitfalls, I have been known to those of us who've been doing this for a while, for a while, but I had a lot of fun watching people figure out like, oh my gosh, I'm going to gain 20 pounds. Yes, you will. <laughs> and so did I. And for for broadcasters and recording people, I posted on my Facebook page the other day, the sound of my neighbor uh, having a new water main connection put in and digging up the entire street right when I was supposed to record something. And I think we've all just become a little more tolerant. I mean, do you remember ra- radio stations used to be built as though there could be no noise penetration at all? And now it's like, fine, there's a truck outside your window. Well, that'll be on the show. That'll just be part of it now. And and we've just sort of loosened up about a lot of stuff. And what I really hope, oh, here, as if, t- to my yeah, mark, can you cue, hear the truck backing cue up? Cue the truck, the right? Truck. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Garbage day.
1: St- we're trying to stay out of their way.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think there are a lot of people who are just figuring it out. And what I really hope comes out of it is the end of high heels. That's what I hope comes out of it.
2: Ah, see, I
3: hadn't even thought about that. It, it is that.
1: possible then to look glamorous in flats.
3: Well, yeah, who cares? But more to the point, who cares what you look like? You're not going out, <laughs> and you're on the radio. That's right. You want to wear your pajamas when when they started loosening up the restrictions here in Chicago. I, I looked at the clothes that I'd been wearing and every single thing, every single thing that I had worn for the last two years had either a bleach stain or a hole or a button missing, every single thing. And I, I thought, holy smokes, I, I, I look like I sleep under a viaduct and, I, and I, now I'm going to have to do something about it. Everybody looked at their clothes probably and thought the same thing. And always some company had everybody come into work one day in the clothes that they'd been wearing while they worked from home and people had fun with it. Like they wore their suit coat and their shirt and then their sweatpants on the bottom. Have you seen these pictures? No.
2: No, It's great. sounds like a good idea. It
3: was like, but come to work in what you wore for the last year and a half from home.
0: That's like the common TV talent though. That you see in the news reports, it's always from the desk up. You never see anything below, and they've done that for years. They just never showed anybody.
3: Oh, they changed that. They put in those plexiglass desks, Ooh. and they put in those high chairs so women can <laughs> wear their high heels on their little stools, so that you can look right up their skirts. You've <laughs> not, you've not looked, you've not noticed this. I'm going
0: to pass.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking
3: you have. I'm kind of thinking, and then they have coaches to tell them, you know, how to cross their legs yes. and how to. I don't think I would be able to focus on the news. Let's just say I magically was, um, you know, skinny and TV anchor made up and pretty. I still would not be able to focus on the news at all if my skirt ended three inches below my underwear and I had a lucite desk and a high stool and four inch heels. That'd be all I'd be thinking about
2: you yeah yeah I, I i get that i'd come
3: to work <laughs> I, in a lap blanket i'd be I like was... okay i'm walking in in the high heels and the dress and i'm just gonna grab this afghan that one of my listeners sent me i would make a contest out of it every day i'd be like please send me an afghan i'll wear it on the evening news and every day i would put somebody's handmade quilt or afghan or baby blanket right across my lap because otherwise i could read nothing
2: we went to zoom about a year and a half ago. Uh, from Skype. And on Skype, we, we never had the video, we, we it was 100% audio. And then when we went to Zoom, we were told, well, we could do some video just so we can wave to our guests and, you know, say, hi, we don't record the video, we still only record the audio. But that's the point at which we had to start getting dressed for radio, <laughs> because we do the show. Very, very casual. And I just want to say thank
0: you so much for doing that, you two. It's it's been an honor this
2: whole time. So, so it's like 10-15 minutes before the show now, even though we're just seeing Benny and we're seeing the guest, it's like, oh, I gotta go put on some lipstick and comb my hair. Otherwise, I'd be looking like grandmama from the Adams family. <laughs> I did not put on makeup because
3: you're not going to show my face, but I'm oh. I'm with you. I briefly in the early days of um, video on the internet, I had a forward seeking, uh, forward thinking program director who put what was called at that time, a webcam in the studio. Right. Right. And every day I would come in to do the show and I'd hang my sweater over the webcam and he'd come in and take it off and I'd put it back. And after like, four weeks of this, he just threw up his hands and gave it up because I was having none of it. I'm like, if I wish to pick my nose during the commercial break, I don't want to have to worry that the entire audience is watching me. Not that I would pick my nose, but it should be my option. It should be my choice. It should be, you know, if I get something stuck in my teeth, I would like to do that without the entire listening audience watching me do that. It's my right yes. as a radio person. If I wanted to look good all the time, I would lose 30 pounds and go on television.
1: Well, if we're going to get into that, <laughs> let me tell you about the night I watched Monday Night Football. This is when Dan de Don Meredith, as well as Howard sell, and they had Frank Gifford, who also participated as the play-by-play man. They were panning the crowd, and where? Candlestick Park in San Francisco, home of former home of the San Francisco 49ers of yes. the NFL. And they will show crowd scenes. You always had the rainbow-haired guy with the John 3:16. Rock (laughs) and rolling was his stage name, and he came to a bad end. But anyway, uh, then they were showing one night. I mean, it was just scenes from the crowd. There was a glamorous, and I mean just about model perfect, should be on the cover of a magazine blonde who was sitting in the stands, and they just lingered because of her natural beauty. At this football game, lo and behold, Ooh. she picked her nose. <laughs> <laughs> A natural Picked her nose. And dandy Don Meredith, he said it all. He goes, she almost had it all. <laughs>
3: <laughs> solid. That's pretty good. Very solid. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that should be. See, this is the thing. What you think you want. Isn't always what you really want. What you think? Well, when, when, I just saw some movie, an old a movie I had never seen, where they actually follow the the, the cute girls. Oh, I I had never seen Harry and Kumar go to White Castle. Harold. I I, I did see that movie. Yes. It's a stoner movie. And the only reason I heard about it was somebody was interviewing the director who's made other movies and they mentioned it. And I thought, I've never even heard of that movie. So I, I looked it up and I saw it. And there's a scene where they end up in the, Harry and Kumar end up in the girls' bathroom somehow. I forget how. And the two cute girls come in. And and they hide in the stall, and they're forced to find out that women's bodily functions are no different than men's bodily functions. And it's like, what, what did they think? Did they think we just, all the salad just stayed permanently in our stomachs? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and this happened. It played out to staggering oh, effect in the God. film. And I believe the ladies' restroom in question was on the campus of Princeton University. Well, I
3: did not know. See, but this there are these myths. And I that, to circle back to the working from home thing the idea that anyone is comfortable in high heels it is is it it's got to be a fabrication i mean it's got to be I'll, i i've heard women say well i'm comfortable in high heels and and i want to say to them comfortable or used to it and if they're really really honest if they're really telling the truth they will say used to it because nobody nobody really it wants to walk on a toothpick that's 5 inches high nobody really try. I, I just, that's a benefit of working from home. And there are several others, including all the money you save on haircuts. You could take a nice vacation with all the money you save on haircuts.
1: I got a rather expensive one just this week, as a matter of fact, but I like the lady that cuts my hair. She really gets me. So I'm willing to <laughs> pay handsomely. And that includes a fat tip. So with that being the case though, I mean, this whole idea, I mean, now that we're on this general subject, the whole idea of, and shoemakers of the world, please, you know, call in or write us, tell us, explain reality, or maybe just some ladies, you know, why is it that high heels, for which women will will spend great sums of money, some of them have the whole Emelda collection, you know, there. What is it intended to achieve? Because it can't be that you're intended to run in them, though I've seen women running in them, especially during a rainstorm. With that kind of thing going on, where does fashion meet comfort? Because they seem to be in collision with some of these styles.
3: There is no comfort. But if you're asking why women wear them, it's because they make them feel like their legs are longer and they're taller and it elongates certain muscles. And you, you know, You feel sexy in them. It's not about how they, I mean, they look cute, but they, if you subscribe to the whole theory, you feel sexier. Although,
2: yes. I I wore a lot of high heels in my early years, my first jobs. And the one thing that, that like really comes to mind is you spend a lot of time walking around on high heels. When I went home at night and took them off, my legs hurt. Yep. Because my, my calves were all you know foreshortened with standing on my toes all day. Yeah. Then you try and lower your heels to the ground and your whole back of your legs hurt. Then yeah. you got to spend the whole evening stretching your legs out. It was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. And eventually my heels got shorter and shorter. They started out <laughs> at four inches. They went to three and then two yep. and a half, I yep. think. <laughs> yeah, all kinds of things are going to go
3: away post-COVID. I think I spent 395 days in a sports bra, I think. Uh, you know? Yeah. yeah. The underwire, the underwires. Got, I got a whole list of things that were expected of me that I think can just, I'm going to rebel. and And I don't know if it's my age. Because, or the fact that I'm long-time married, or the fact that I'm married to a guy who really doesn't notice what I'm wearing so that I could wear my shirt inside out for a week and he wouldn't notice, um, which has its good <laughs> and bad points. You know, you get the fancy haircut, you put on the new whatever, and you're like walking around going, notice anything? Notice anything? No, it doesn't notice anything. So there's that. But there, I've, got a, I've got a whole list of things that I'm hoping we can just get rid of. Thank you, pandemic. If we If, if we've got to have suffered like this, we should... We should come out of it with a few trinkets to show.
2: I think one of the things on the way out is gas stations.
3: Oh, yeah.
2: We've had had several gas stations in Sarasota that that have been turned into restaurants. Well, you've hit on something because I I have this theory that... um,
3: Currently gas stations are designed to get you in and out as quickly as possible and all the food is designed to grab and go but if we go to electric cars which require time to charge then the whole thing's get the whole thing gets flipped upside down then it becomes about how can we make you happy comfortable well fed well groomed well whatever while you wait for your car to charge so it's going to be instead of how fast can we get you out of here it's going to be how comfortable can we make you for the considerably longer amount of time that you're going to need to be spending here.
1: I am impressed by the business women of Seattle, and Benny knows what I'm talking about. How many times, Benny, have you driven downtown to see women who look like soccer moms in tennis shoes, but that's <laughs> not what they are. They hold down important corporate jobs. It's just that when they come across the ferry to Seattle from Bainbridge Island, for example, They wear tennis shoes because they're trying to negotiate one-way streets. And Seattle itself is built on seven major hills, just like San Francisco or Rome. And dealing with all of that, they need to be comfortable. Once they get inside the office building, then they can change their shoes. So that in itself becomes both a tactic and a strategic way of handling their business day. Sometimes you just have to
3: adjust. You want to hear a true story? Yes. There's a guy, I won't mention his name. He's extremely wealthy, controls a lot of media. And it's well known that he likes women to wear high heels. So all the women who work for him have a pair of high heels in their desk or their bag near their desk. And if he's going to be coming to where they're working, the word goes up and down the line. Everybody kicks off their flats, puts on their high heels just for 10 minutes so that when the owner walks by, he sees all these women wearing high heel shoes.
1: And he thinks that he's got everybody in shape. He's in charge and all is well.
3: Yeah, I guess he does. (laughs)
1: Little does he know. (laughs) Yes. Well, there was a radio station in Seattle for years that was owned by the late, great Gene Autry. And uh, when Gene Autry was around, you wore your cowboy boots. He provided them for free. So if you you showed up at this uh, station, it's still on the AM band, though Mr. Autry is long gone, but he gave them cowboy boots. And I was told by someone who worked there at the time, you wore those cowboy boots if you knew he was going to be around.
3: That's what he wanted to see. And that's what he got to see. I did not know that. Wow. That is so cool. I would have worked well. Golden West Broadcasting, which was his company, was a pretty cool outfit. Anyway, he was that was a cool thing to work for gene Autry in some ways i would have lobbied for the horse though i would have said yeah the boots are nice but I, i'd like the horse well
1: that's because you're an animal person i don't know how you keep it around where you live now would that be legal
3: no i oh there people keep horses here but i i just you know i always see it goes back to what suzanne said if you give me the inch i want the mile boots nice horse better
1: I love that. You, you, what you're what you're telling us, at least to my way of thinking, Tori, is that you live life on your terms as much as circumstances will allow. That's both aspirational, but it's also pragmatic. I think that's a
3: good way to get through this life. I think that you're being very generous.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think I'm just like, okay, well, let's see. If I, Let me have a little more, just a little more. Suzanne, Suzanne you were right. You give people an inch. And well, I, I'm the mile. one. I'm the one going. Give me the mile. Give me the mile. Or as a friend of mine said, if you want a dog, ask for a pony. There yes, you go. There's a certain there logic go. to that
1: as well. Tory Turi Ryder, we're always glad to have you with us, Fun. my friend. And let's do it. Let's have visit number nine coming up here sometime soon.
2: Thank you. All right. And her book. Her book is. She said what? Tory Turi Ryder. T-U-R-I-R-Y-D-E-R. Tory Turi Ryder. And coming up at one o'clock, we've got American Road Trip Talk.
1: We're going to visit cozy Beulah, Michigan and visit the Cherry Hut. It will be a good time. Thanks so much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. We hope you have yourselves a great weekend.